Yo, I'm Will Blackman, and this is Upsets and Underdogs, presented by WinBet. Usually, for these Friday episodes, we put out an underdog tale episode. But to start off the new year, we're bringing you something special. After Lamb and I recorded our episode in Vegas, we recorded an episode of Lamb Show, Veterans Minimum. It was a lot of fun. We talked about all kinds of stuff, film study, the Super Bowl season with the Giants, the transition to life after football, boxing, and a ton more. Just for you, we're going to release that audio on this feed as well. Here it is, and enjoy. Veterans Minimum. I hate seeing that. I made Vet Minimum last year. <laughs> we're here, in the building. My guy, <laughs> Super Bowl champion, Will Blackman. What, what up? A, what a dude, man. What a dude. I was laughing because I was like, veterans minimum. I remember negotiating deals. They were like, look, you're going to get veterans minimum. So I kind of got like PTSD looking at this damn look. <laughs> it's, it's the play on words in the, in the sports world, man. It is. What's the deal? I'm happy to finally be on your show. Look yeah. at this. You got the big logo on the back. I got, I got the fresh gear upstairs. It's funny. A lot of my buddies have been like, yo, how come you haven't asked Will to be on your show? I was like, I want to get Will on the show in person. I don't want to do the whole over webcam kind of thing. Though the dynamic is dope in person. is just way better. I feel you. So I'm, listen, this is your show. I'm not talking. So I'm Dude, listening to you. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, right? I got, I've, done, I've done thousands of podcasts in my life. This is the first time. I talked to someone that won a championship for one of my favorite teams. How about that? How's but that? that? But it's like, but it's like legit, like your favorite, like your team. Yeah, not no, like a favorite team. Like I have favorite teams. This is like your team. Nah, though. number one draft pick overall, New York Giants. Boom. And you know about this. You see me stressing every time we do the show when they're you losing. Stress every game. time. You were stressing today because Mike Glennon got knocked out. So now you have no quarterbacks. Logan yeah. Ryan. Prayers, prayers, and <laughs> and help. That's what we need, dude. Tell me a little bit about that season, man. You were telling me before when we linked up and we were hanging out, watching the game. Another thing I want to say, I feel like I know football. You're casually just watching the game and you're like eating your chicken wings. And you're like, oh, run to the right. Boom, run to the right. And then he's like, oh, he's going to do like an outcut, outcut. And I was like, man, there's levels. I was, I, was, I was chilling with my feet up in the room eating wings and calling out plays. <laughs> Yo, that was because like – I'll, I'll watch a game sometimes and then I'll, I'll notice something and I might call it out once every like, you know, 20, yeah, 30 you plays. Yeah, tendencies. And right, you see tendencies. Like you see a certain guy coming in motion. Right, You've right, seen that right. before. But for you to just do it on like a whole drive, you call like four out of, four and five plays was pretty impressive. Yeah, that's, but that's just how I watch football, man. I, um, I watch it like I'm studying film. Like towards the, towards the second half of my career, um, like year seven and on, I, I really, really learned like how to watch film. And so now, and I not only learned, but I became obsessed with watching film. So now when I watch it, I just, I'm so used to like situational football. Because that's, that's the NFL. The NFL is all situational football. Everybody wants the same plays offensively, defensively, special teams. So it's just situation. Then you know the coordinator, you know the tendencies, you know the formations, you know the down distance, you know the clock, you know all these things. And so when I was when I would watch film and study, you have to study enough so that you can process those things in a matter of like three seconds. So right, you're like, okay, plays over. Then you're like, all right, what down is it? Okay, it's third and third and seven. Okay, third and seven, you're kind of like, okay, we're probably going to, they need to get to the stick. So mm -hmm. we, we might run some pressure here. 
you know, because they need more time to throw this football. So then you get the call, whatever they call a pressure, as you expected, is it man pressure, is it zone pressure, you know, is it a little bit of both? And then, boom, you get the call. Well, no, then you see what personnel they're in. How they're lining up. Well, no, well, who's in the game? Is it, uh, is, it, is it 12 personnel, which is one runner back, two tight ends? Or is it, is it 11 personnel, which is three receivers, one tight end, one runner back? So that gives you a situation what they're going to do, you know, depending on. So you, you, have, you get all that stuff before you line up. And you got to do that in, what, 20, 25 seconds? No, you got to do that in like three or five because they lined up. That's right. So you get the call and you line up. So then, you know, if you're, if you're matched up, you got to find your guy. If you're not matched up, you go to your side. Then you're looking around, observing, go through the cadence. If somebody motions or shifts, then it changes your call. Maybe a tight end goes to the complete other side, what, called tight end trade. That changes the whole strength of the formation. So now the calls completely change. Dog is nuts. And then ball snaps. Let's go. And then you got to do it again. <laughs> for three hours bro what changes what what changed that made you understand phil more year six seven like because i wasn't making any plays and i was i was trying to i was trying to make plays just based off pure athleticism you know because my, my numbers were off the charts in terms of what i did athletically and i can play any position but if you want to be effective you have to study because mm. they're studying you so they're finding ways to get a chink in your armor. You got to find a ways. It's literally a chess match because you, that's, you have film. So everybody knows what's going on, you know? So for me, it was like, man, I need to figure this thing out. And I remember my teammate at the time in Green Bay, Charles Woodson, he was making plays, but he wasn't even practicing. He was going to say, you got to practice, you got to practice, you got to practice. Charles did not practice my first year in Green Bay, and he went to the damn Pro Bowl. <laughs> I think he had like seven to eight picks, something like that. And so I remember the next year, he wasn't practicing again, but he was still making plays. And I'm like, I don't know how he's doing it. I said, I'm going to figure this thing out. Let me, go, let me go watch film. So I go back to the facility one day on my own at night. It was like 7.30, and I go into the the uh the defensive back room and somebody left the projector on because i saw the blue light but apparently somebody was changing um whatever they were watching and i go in and it's charles charles is in there at 7 30 watching tape and he said hey come have a seat you know i'll show you some things i was like yeah i'm gonna sit down now this is this this is when you saw him not practicing yeah so this is my second year in the nfl okay and he showed me how to watch he he i saw him watching film at night when everybody was gone and he sat down. He said, hey, sit down. I'll show you some stuff. So he was showing me, like, ten tendencies. He was showing formations and plays. And he, he kind of came up with, like, hey, if I see a play on film that jumps up three times, if I see that matchup in the game, he said, I'm just going to jump it. I'm going to play the tendencies, mm. right? I'm going to jump the route. So if they run this same play every time on third and three, third and three, and I see it show up in, like, four different games, on, and they run third and three, they run this, let's say – dragon which is a drag slant um he said if i see it third and three and the formation is the same he said i'm just gonna jump it if they do something different good for them but usually they don't that's how he made all his plays and then when i turn on the light the whole the whole room looked like a chemistry like a chemistry lab he wrote a game plan like within the game plan that's how you end up going to the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, when you take a, when you take no seriously though, when you take a legit like a a superstar athlete, 
and he prepares like that, you get a Hall of Famer. How many guys you played with that were so talented, but they didn't really pop off on tape because they never did that next step of that's research. The, that's and the norm. Films. That's the norm. So there's a lot of guys that there's are just. There's a lot of guys who don't know how. Yeah. So if, if anyone, who hasn't, who, anyone who has been healthy and only played like three or four years, that's probably why. So it's not a, it's not a fit and physical thing, it's a more mental. It is, it, is, it is 100% mental. Oh, yeah. You know, like when you say like, hey, you know, that system doesn't fit his style. There's, I mean, you can adjust somebody, but at the same time, like it's, it's about the preparation and study, man. Like that's tell you, that is, that is abs- absolutely everything. Because what that did is it 100% slowed the game down, you mm-hmm. know, because you, you know everything. You know, just like how you know all the gambling and odds and all that stuff, like you can just rattle off and it's second nature to you. When you study film like that, the game is second nature. So I got to the point where, okay, I'll go through a, I'll go through a week on how I prepared, right? So let's say we just played Sunday. Mm-hmm. After the game, if it's an away game, I'll probably watch the game on the iPad on the plane. If it's a home game, I'll just go home and probably like chill out and I'll watch the, the night games if we have a day game. And then Monday, we'll come in, we'll review the game as a team. Um, and then we'll kind of like introduce the next team. And so maybe I'll like look at a little bit of the next team, you know, just maybe more of the stats and the roster who's playing. And then Tuesday's our day off. But because I know the practice plan Tuesday, I will watch first and second down only and that's why because wednesdays that's what we're practicing we're practicing first and second down on wednesdays so i will preview it and that's usually your runs or play actions right like first and second down so i will watch only that in advance just so i can get a step ahead for wednesday so then wednesday we go through it then when i get home wednesday I usually come back to the facility because it's easy to watch film there. I'll come back at night. I will review. I would review our Wednesdays, and then I will watch third down only, because on Thursday we're going to go over third down. So it's complete third down practice. Maybe. There's a whole practice dedicated just to third down. We'll review for a second down a little bit, but it's dedicated to third down. Maybe some two minutes in there. So I will, you know, I will preview or preview third down. Then thir- Wednesday, Thursday will come. Third, and then we'll do third down all day. Then after practice, same thing. I will review um, third down. And then I will preview two-minute red zone goal line short yardage. Because Friday, that's what we're going to do. And Friday is a shorter, pra- a shorter day. It's like a walkthrough? No, we have a full-on because we got to get real-life situations. We won't tackle, but it's, real, it's right. full speed. And then Friday... I'll probably review a little bit, but usually I'll either just chill or take, you know, the kids, I'll take my wife out to dinner or something like that. And then when Saturday comes, I'll watch full games. And by then we'll probably have the call sheet solidified. So I'll watch full games and I'll match. I'll call a game myself. So first, okay, it's first down. What are we calling on first down? Okay, we're probably going to call this, you know, or probably base personnel, probably going to run the ball, depending on who we're playing. We're playing the Chargers. We're going to come at nickel. And so I'll play a full game. I'll probably watch like three or four of the recent games, watch full games. And then therefore when Sunday comes, 
already played the game. And so it's like Sunday's the that the week is the hardest part. Sunday is the fun part because I already I already played the game. I already saw everything everyone was gonna do. Yeah, you still need to execute, but it took stress off of me because a famous quote, I remember D'Angelo Hall told me that, I think it was Kevin Math that said, he said, D'Angelo Hall, you're a rookie and you run, apparently you run a 4-1. And D. Hall was like, yeah, I do. And he said, he said, but I guarantee you, Kevin said this to D'Angelo Hall, he said, I guarantee you I can get to this spot before you can because I know the play's coming. Mm. He said, that's film study. And I was like, Psh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that blew my mind just hearing all that a whole day, like just for first and second down and then for third down too. So then you end up playing in a Super Bowl. I was in attendance for Oh, that I too. didn't even mention individual matchups. <clears throat> yeah. So Studying players. So like, where, does, where does that fit in? So that, I, I add that in every time I watch a situation. So like when I, in 2015, I was in Washington, every week I had a different matchup. So one week I had Odell, one week I had Julio, one week I had Greg Olson, one week I had, you know, whoever. So not only – I didn't – plus I played everywhere, mostly nickel, but if I had a matchup, I would watch the situation so I knew what was going on around me, but I would also watch the players cause I, to know what he was doing. So then when you end up playing in a Super Bowl for the New York Giants, I was in attendance too. And uh, how different is that layout since you do have two weeks to prepare? Does that change at all? Yeah, I mean, you, you practiced hard the week before. And then the, the week of, you just, you practice, but you, you're not going hard. You just walk through, but you're reviewing what you did. So you have the real practice the week before. And there's a lot of media. and Right, there's a lot like of that. media and stuff like that. So, and plus, you want to be healthy. So we, we have the real practice, all the situation stuff. And then the week of, we just review because we have mandatory media obligations and you don't want anybody getting hurt. Tell me a little bit about that 2011 season. Was that your favorite season that you played? No, God, no. Really? I mean, despite winning? I will say that was my favorite, like, because of the playoff run. Because I got there late. I got there, like, towards the end of the season, like, early, I think, early November. Because I actually, when I got released from Green Bay in 2010, I remember my, I remember my wife woke up, was like, hey, I had a dream the Giants going to sign you. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm like, go to sleep, you know? And sure enough, my agent called me, like, three hours later, was like, hey, the Giants want to work you out. You know, you're going to go to New York. And this is 2010. So I go to New York, and I remember I was in my hotel, and I think the Bengals were calling me, and my agent was like, yo, the Bengals are going to call you? He said, do not answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> he said, don't. He said, because you're in New York. I want you the Giants. It's a good situation, especially if you, like, you pass your physical and work out. So I remember I go to see the doctor. My knee was, like, jacked up, like, really bad from tearing it the previous year. And I remember the doctor was like moving my ACL. He was like, dude, your knee's like not fully healed. Like it's not intact. He said, but because I like you, he said, I'm going to let you work out. Mm -hmm. he, he cleared me even though I straight up failed the physical. How'd you get hurt? Just making a cut versus the Vikings in the Metrodome. Boom, tore ACL, MCL, and meniscus. All Damn, that stuff. The whole, the whole deal. The whole yeah, the whole deal. Um, and so it was a struggle to come back, which is why I got cut because I was never healthy you know, which is another crazy part about the NFL. And especially like they did the surgery, they did the rehab and I still didn't recover. So, so I failed my physical, but I still go work for, I still go work out for New York. And by the grace of God, I felt good during that workout. So it was me, a couple like scouts throwing the football is Dave Gettleman. And I ended up with one leg, ran a four five, eight and did the drills and 
Dave signed me on the spot. How different was your run when you came out? Oh, I, ran, I ran four for one, two legs. So, but I, I tried to train and I signed me on the spot. Remember we played Seattle in Seattle that year. I had a couple good returns. And then as the year went on, my knee just like fell apart and just my leg wasn't working, couldn't use it. But this is why I hold the Giants in high regard. I do because I remember, so when I signed with the Giants, I signed a, a, a waiver, meaning like, hey, if you get injured again, we're not responsible, right? And it was like a split in my contract too. So at the end of the year, I remember Dr. Ronnie Barnes, Byron, and I forget who else came in there, and they were like, look, I know we wrote this in the contract, but you really got to get your leg fixed. Mm-hmm. So right there, Ronnie rips with the contract. He was like, pick any surgeon, pick any rehab place, even though like you're not part of the team anymore, like pick, he said, we'll pay for it the whole time. Is that uncommon? That, that, that is not, from my knowledge, that does not happen. Seems like it wouldn't happen. So no, honestly, and this is during the lockout year too. Yeah, that's right. Cause the John, I remember that was when Cam was a rookie. Yeah, and he came in. And I'll never forget that first game. He plays the Cardinals and like broke the passing record for a rookie. Right, and that was a short season. So that was a lockout. That was it was before the right when the lockout happened. And every Eric, I picked my surgeon. I went to Curlin Job, and he redid the whole the whole knee, redid the whole thing, sent the bill. Giants got it. Every time I went to a, my rehab, Giants got it. I went to like ten different doctors to get like different injections to like, help my knee heal. Sent to New York, they paid it. They paid it all the way through until, I don't know. And I remember, too, when I left, Jerry Reese, um, former GM, was like, hey, here's my card. Like, let me know when you're ready. And they say, sometimes they say it as courteous, but I was like, I'm going to call you when I'm ready. And sure enough, 2011 came. Um, I got another surgery just to clean up some scar tissue. Giants took care of it again. And, and just keep in mind, this whole time, I am not a member of the New York Giants. I am a free agent. And they're paying for all my medical stuff, which they were not responsible for legally on the contract. And this is also before you even talked to them? This is after the first time I was with them. Got it. Yeah. Um, and then I called Jerry Reese. I said, hey, I'm ready to go. He was like, okay, I'll keep you on the short list. They brought me in, I think, September for like a, you know, a cattle call workout. Like 30 guys came and worked out. And then he put me on the short list again. And then I think a bunch of guys, a bunch of corners got hurt. That I think there was like 26 guys on IR when I went over there. And they called me and it was like, hey, we're going to, they called me like on a, something weird. You know when someone calls you when it's a team? Because they will call you like 6 o'clock in the morning because I'm on the West Coast. So I knew like, okay, if it's 6 o'clock in the morning, it's a team it's calling me. Team. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened when I went to Washington too. They called me in a cracker dawn too. So yeah, Jerry Reese called and I was like, we're going back to New York, you know? And I went there in the middle of like the losing streak that was going on. And then we, I think we just dropped one to Washington and we go to New Orleans to get our head beat in. And then, um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, man, it, but that team was cool because it was a bunch of just, it was a bunch of just grown men on that team. You know, that's what made that team super cool is you, you look at any, any room, the DB room, right? We had Antra Rowe, Deion Grant, like Corey Webster, like those are like the three like grown dudes, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, Aaron Ross, KP, and then you go to the linebackers, you know, obviously Chase, 
you know, he was a leader. You know, Jaquan was was he was a young buck on the team. Um, you know, you go to the, I mean, we had easily the best defensive line yeah. in terms of we had an eight man rotation. It's you know, you got Kiwanuka, you had uh, JPP, you had OC, young JPP, you young too. J, young JPP, and young um, um, Linville Joseph. That's right, Rocky Bernard, and then you had Tuck and Tuck. Right, we had an eight man rotation. Yeah. A, a the duo. glory days. <laughs> the glory days, yeah. And that's just our defense. And offensively, obviously, we had running backs with, you know, Brandon and Ahmad. I mean, you don't get more grown man crazy than that. And our whole offensive line was legit. We had grown receivers. Yeah. Like, we had a, we had a, the identity of a championship type of team. And then we had a coach who he put it all on us, Coach Coughlin. He put it all on the play. He had a leadership committee. He's like, look, if there's any drama – going on like you guys handle it if it's too big then you guys bring it to me and for the most part like the guys did handle it like our locker room was like look you get a line you might get beat up that type of deal and so yeah that team was big because everybody held everybody accountable there was so much arguing but it was like a family type of argument you know and but it because it was it was that close and so i really got to see Okay, that's what like a championship team, championship team really looks like. And I saw the year before because Green Bay won the year I got released, so I got to see that be built. But I got to see really what it took, and it was like everyone being unselfish. It's wild to me that you say that wasn't like your favorite year playing. Well, because I I had so much fun in Green Bay. Mm. Green Bay was fun. They also drafted you too, so that's like a soft spot, or I wouldn't call it a soft spot. I just had I legit had fun. Mm. That was just like it was out of control, just so much fun. Um, yeah, of course it was. You know, not to just win a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl in New York. Yeah, I mean that's like that's the dream right there, because you know you get to go down in Manhattan. You know the parade it was just nuts. So everything gets elevated in New York. If man, you like, win in yeah. New York, dude, that's it, a real you're thing. good. You are. You, it's a rite of passage once you win in New York. It's like it's crazy. You know, um, think about like. For as great as Odell has been, if he don't make that catch Sunday night football against the Cowboys as a giant, right? he's still going to be a great receiver, but not to the point where dude has the most social media followers of anyone in the league. Dude, if you're, if you're good, if you're really good on New York, you're good. Mm. You're good. Yeah, and that's for every sport, too. Like they, you know what's crazy, man? They honor the 94 Knicks so much. They never won a championship, though. They don't. But they honored them because they were great teams, conference finals, NBA finals. But it's just crazy to think they didn't even win, but they're still honored and held to that regard. So then when Dude, you do win a championship. I was just talking to my friends, my homeboys. I was like, what if Lynn Sanity happened in Memphis? No one care. <laughs> It'd be just another dude just you know, on a winning streak. It'd be dope. It'd yeah. be cool. But Lynn Sanity happened in New York. I mean, he went on two months. Two months. Yeah. Scorching. In New York, bust Kobe in New York. Yeah, <laughs> drop thirty eight on Kobe in New York. For real, man, <laughs> insanity was a real thing. That was a real thing, but it, because it was in New York, so um, yeah. That, to your point, like it was cool, like to do that in, in New York. That was that was definitely like up there because the the year before Green Bay just won, mm-hmm. and I should have been part of that because I, I helped build that team. I was there for the whole four year build rebuild. That's right. And then they go, I got released that year, and that year they went and won. So for me to come back, New York, we actually went through Green Bay to go to San Francisco. That was pretty cool. 
you know, when uh when the Giants beat the Packers and then that year I was stressing so much about playing the Saints cuz like you said before I, we did not want to go to New Orleans. When the Niners beat them, I started telling my boys, "Yo, we going to the Super Bowl." Ah, like, oh, you got to worry about the night. I was like, "Nah, we don't got to go to New Orleans, man. We, we did going not to the Super Bowl. we did not want to go to New Orleans at all." That was like peak New Orleans too. That like was peak Super New Orleans. Super dome, oh, trees yeah. running wild. And then once like those safeties knocked out everybody, that was that was the deal. Man. Yo, I'm always fascinated by professional athletes. When did when did you know that you could go pro? Was there a part when you probably going into my sophomore year of college? Cause I started making magazines. I was on like the cover like sporting news and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay. This is like this is legit. But before then, it it, it was probably an end goal. You know, but you know what it was? It was I want to say it was really an end goal. It was just more so like, um, like it was like one opportunity at a time. Cause even when I was young, I had no idea, like I didn't know what, what football recruiting was like. You know, my best friend Jamal's in here. Like we we never we never talked. To, I never talked about like I want to go to the NFL. I love football. I was diehard football. I always played football. I never, but I never talked about it. And I never, I knew nothing about like going to a, a private high school. Mm -hmm. His brother ended up going to that uh, high school I ended up going to, uh, Bishop Hendrickson. And that was a private school. And a lot of guys went there um, to play against the best competition to, you know, get opportunities. I knew nothing about that. You know, I knew nothing about playing college football. I didn't even know how it worked. And until my brother, he was a student at Boston College, and his roommate was a graduate assistant, and he told me about this camp. I go to the camp, and all of a sudden, I got people talking to me. I'm like, hey, you know. You read my mind. I was going to ask you how you ended up at BC. Yeah, and that's – I had people talking to me, and I had no idea how it worked. And BC was my very first offer. They helped me when I was, like, 14 years old. Damn. And then the rest was history. Now I got I got to learn it because they're like, who the hell is this kid from Rhode Island that BC just offered? You know? So that's kind of what it was for me. So my point is like every time I was like, oh, okay, I got an offer from BC. All right, now it's like this is what it's like. Okay, I'm D1 worthy, you know? And then same thing when I was in college, I just – I didn't – I knew like Will Green. I knew him. You know, I knew he was like a first-round pick. He was legit, and I got to know him pretty well. But other than that, I didn't know anything. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, I started getting talked about in magazines, and that's why I was like, okay, there's a, I'm getting talked about. And then my junior year, when, that's when agents start contacting you, and I was like, oh, damn, that's legit. And then once I saw, like, you can, get, you can like, fill out a petition to see, like, what your insurance is that covers, and if it's, like, you know, somewhere north of a million, that's kind of like, okay, that's what you're valued at. Then I was like, okay, I'm, pro I'm definitely getting drafted now. So every time it was like a process. I always hear about those insurance policies. Yeah. So that's like an indicator to understand what your value is? To it it kind of is, yeah. It, it kind of is. If it's like, if it's north of a million, then you're probably going to get drafted. That's, that's a good chance because that's where you're valued at, you know. So guys kind of use that too, the... Should I come out this year or not? That's you why know? you see some dudes go back to school because their value might not be that high? Probably. Interesting. Huh. I always hear about those numbers, man, especially when, like, a guy gets hurt and they talk about the insurance policies and all that. Right. I didn't know it was that severe. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> it's that legit. Yeah.
Yo, what's it like transitioning into the second part of your career now with the it's media? It's the hardest thing in the world because you, I've done something. I've done one thing my whole life. I played football from ages six to like 36. That's all I ever did. My whole, my whole schedule was planned out for me. It was booked. I knew, I knew what tomorrow was going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, I couldn't control tomorrow, but I knew tomorrow. I knew, I knew who I was going to play next year, you know? Um, like I knew that where now it's like, okay, I have to, I got to make my own schedule. You know, I run my own business. I got to do this. I got to do that. It's, it's just different. So the adjustment is hard, but I had a, I would say I had a smooth transition because I already had stuff lined up, ready to go. So I've been very, very fortunate for that where I would say the majority is hard because it's literally like taking the hamster off the wheel. Cause they're like a lot of guys struggle cause they don't know what's next. And it's not even a matter of like what's next. It's, it's what else am I going to be passionate about? You know, I played football because that was, that was, I was passionate. I loved it. And I put everything into it. So for me, it was more so like, I want to find something else that I'm going to be passionate about that I want to give my all to. I don't want to just do anything like effort. Did I want to go coach at first? Probably not. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really want to coach, you know, I started doing some studio stuff in TV and I was like, ah, this is fun, but it doesn't like, Excite you? It doesn't like, it's exciting, but it doesn't like move me like football did, you know? Um, yeah, because you said with football, you thought about it the next day and you were looking forward to it. So maybe like with the media at first, you probably weren't as intrigued, but it grew on you. No, it grew on me because I eventually, eventually I found a lane, you know, I obviously I, I thrived in the whole wine space uh, doing that. That's something I am super passionate about. And then I, I got to, uh, my mind is like more creative type. I kind of want to be able to do like what I want to do and talk what I want to talk about. And so when the, when the blue wire opportunity came, that was kind of like, okay, this is it. You know, I get to, I get to run, you know, point guard, you know, and then also have a shooting guard. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's what's cool to, to do that. So all those opportunities helped me like get to like, help me understand like what lane I want to be in. And so to do that, and then also I want to call games. Mm. And I started doing that. I called a game recently, uh, a Mountain West game. And to, that's how I watch TV, right? So I'm like, if I watch TV like that, I want to call games like that. So how far into your career did you start thinking about doing these spots for media? Like was it was towards the tail end. But how much of that was on your like? No, nah, I wouldn't say that. I would say, number one, what helped me was I interviewed well. And I, was, I wasn't a jerk to any any reporters mm. good game bad game any question get whatever it is get moss you know the odell catch like anything i'll talk about anything and i gave them the time of day and i gave everyone a point i spoke the whole time i was clear regardless i was super chill to everyone i was nice to everyone and working with you too man with upsets and underdogs i can see that too like your whole like setup is just laid back low-key yeah, and, and let's discuss it because I feel like too, like that's my opportunity to get the message right. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, if they're like, "Oh, what happened?" I'm like, uh, "Whatever." He just made a good play. It's dismissive. No, we're not. Well, it's dismissive, but also it leaves. That's just one sentence that I put into the article. They got to fill out the rest. Yeah. So let me give them majority of the paragraph, and they fill out the one sentence. So now the article is written how I want it, how I want it to, because it, it literally came from me. I gave them a full soundbite of what happened, 
you know, where they're like, damn, because honestly, if people don't, I'm thinking about, I'm literally, I'm thinking about this as we're talking, you know, I didn't realize that was my strategy, but I was doing that. Because think Mm. about it, if you're doing an interview, you have a deadline, you got to write, whatever, let's say a thousand words, two thousand words. If you get an interview and somebody gives you. Marshawn Lynch. If someone gives you like, but he's different though. That's, yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. He's a different because it is what it is with him. He's funny. If I gave you like at least 80, you know, 850 words of your thousand word thing, I helped you, you know? And so I would do a lot of like local stuff to local radio, local TV, a lot of things like that. And so I just built a relationship from day one on. So then when I was actually the first person one of the people that I, I built a relationship with when he was a beat writer was Garofalo when he was a beat writer for the Giants. So when I was done playing, the first person, I got a call from Fox and it was a recommendation from my Garofalo. He was like, hey, you guys need to give Will uh, an audition. He, like, he, he'll be good on TV. Not burning bridges. Ne- never burn bridges. Yeah, that's one thing that I've noticed in like Because it's pointless. You know, you should, you should, first of all, you never know, but why burn bridges? It's pointless because you yeah. just never know. Yeah, there's one thing I want to talk to you about also is uh, your love for boxing. Is that another passion of yours? Because I'm a big MMA guy, and I always see you tweeting more about you indulging UFC. But I feel like I would define you as a boxing guy. Yeah, I here's the thing. I I loved UFC, and loved, I loved you said. Well, what changed? I, no, I I still like UFC, but I loved it when you know the the 205 and 185 was like lit. You so know? like John Jones and Anderson, even even you, further back, you know, we can say John, even when like, you know, it was Chuck and Tito and early stages, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. But what changed the though? GSP BJ? You know, BJ Penn Wars. I know that's a little lighter, but what changed is Connor messed it up for me. Dang, Connor McGregor messed it up for me. I don't know if it's a polarizing take, but I do feel like a lot of people feel no, that the way reason, about no, Connor. The, no, the reason why Connor messed it up for me because Connor is supposed to be the one. He's supposed to be the guy. He's been the guy though. No, but he's he's supposed to still be the guy. Connor should never have lost to anyone, ever, and it's always because it's like, it's up and down for him. You know, it's up and down. I feel like he outgrew the sport. Like Connor outgrew MMA and UFC, and that's why he started doing the boxing thing. And there's that old, I think it's Hagler said, it's hard for you to wake up at 5 a.m. in silk, silk pajamas. It is hard. It is. It so is. that's probably what happened with him when Mayweather throws, what is that, nine figures at him? It is hard, but, but, that's a, but that's what I'm saying, though. But Mayweather gets nine figures, and he can do that still. Very fair. He can still get up. Like you look at you look at other sports. Like Tom Brady has seven rings, and he's still pissed off, and still wants to get more, and is upset when he doesn't have a good practice. You know what I'm saying? It's like all these all these like great ones. They just they just need a reason. Mm. They just need a reason, and they want to obliterate everybody and really separate themselves. And it's almost like disappointed because I think Connor, it, Connor should have been that guy, and he made it cool. I was like, okay, yes, Connor's here, especially like when you know his story too, right? You know, that's why people got behind them too. Yeah, that's why I got behind him. That's why I got behind Dustin. Dustin came from the gutter too. Yeah, like I watched his 
documentary fight Phil a long time ago before he got to where he was. And so that's kind of what it is for me. But boxing, it, I mean, it started, again, my boy Jamal's here, started childhood, man. <laughs> it was actually his family that used to get all the big fights, all the big heavyweight fights back in the day. Um, all the Tysons, all the Riddick Bowles, all the Lennox Lewis, like all those. And we would all get up and we would go to his house and we started watching boxing. So it was more of like tradition where we always did that. So it got to the point where it was like just tradition for me to always watch big fights, even if I wasn't like huge, you know, breaking it down. And I just always stuck with watching big fights and then it just growing me to like really like learn and try to break it down. I'm, I'm just a massive fan. and That's how I watch it. Yeah, there's always there's always conversations about like boxing is dying and boxing isn't a draw. And then you see some of the purses that these guys make. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> you, yeah. you guys may get bored watching it on the film, but then. You see, <laughs> these guys are getting broke off. The thing about boxing, though, I feel like I'm more captivated by the main event in boxing. Whereas UFC, I went, I went to UFC at, in Madison Square Garden. We were there for the first fights. Like, there's something about MMA. And I don't know if it's because there's more ways that you could finish. There's, like, submissions and there's head yeah, kicks. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know. So that makes it more, why am I interested in this dude making his debut fight against this other guy who's on a three-fight losing streak? But there's something that's captivating about MMA where like with boxing, yeah, I'll tune into Canelo or with Tank, those guys, Ryan Garcia too, that have the big name appeal. But I'm not watching a dude that I haven't heard of. Whereas in MMA, right, I'm like those in. On, Yeah, and that's a, I would say that is for MMA, there's you're more you're more attached to more people because you see you see the cycle between, you know, the Bellator and UFC, and plus there's there's not there's only a few belts. That's my biggest complaint about boxing. Yeah, boxing. There's so many governing bodies. There's so many belts. There's so many things. There's so much control, and that is that part is annoying. But yeah, in UFC, you just have you know who the 170 is. And legit in UFC, like if you you can get caught tripping because there's so many ways to get finished, you get caught just that small, then you're done. You know. Where in boxing, a guy can pop, can maybe maybe not be at his best, and you hope the other guy's not at his best either. Yeah, I think the the dynamic of there being more ways that you could finish is what makes UFC to me at least more compelling. Right. So, but I also love the fact that boxing you you know the guy can only do one thing, so it makes it more of a strategic chess match because mm. you legit know we're just punching. There's only so many punches you can throw. But don't you think it'd be more difficult for you to have to prepare for all the other stuff that MMA has to bring? Got my shoot, got my throw a head kick. He might, yeah. But you know those things, but then but then you you find out whatever he's not good at and you try to dominate that portion of the fight. Yeah. Where boxing, it's one thing. You and everyone's a master at that one thing. That's a good point. Yeah, a everyone's point. a master at that one thing. Yeah, because you always see it in, in MMA, you'll see like, you're a boxer, I'm a wrestler. If I take it to the ground, it's probably it's quiet a, for you. It's, it's done, yeah. right. Like, okay, that reminds me of, you know, who was it? Um, like BJ Penn was a good striker. Yeah. Right? And GSP just put him on his back the whole time. And his strategy was, he was like, I'll put him, because he said, because he's a good striker, I'll put him on his back. He said all the blood will rust to his shoulders. And he's going to throw heavy, light, like punches. They're not going to sting. Yeah. 
That's exactly what happened. And then you see people get mauled. Mm -hmm. Like Clarissa Shields, when she fought her first MMA battle, she's a boxer. Lady had her back the whole time. The whole fight. And eventually she got up and finished her. Right. But yeah, you can just eliminate something that they're good at. Boxing, no. You got to throw hands. Yeah. Man. I'm uh I'm I'm definitely more of an MMA guy though. No, that's and that's fair. What do you think is uh the future of boxing moving forward? Cuz there's a lot of guys especially like the lighter weight classes that are starting to make more noise. Yeah, that no, are big draws no, too. The, the lightweight is is for sure, you know, you got obviously you got like I said Tiafoma, he lost, but you got Cambosis, you got Haney, you got Garcia, you got Does it bother Roman you that Chico? those dudes don't like the the last thing I want to say about boxing, bro, is like like they don't fight each other. Yeah, man. You know because it's everyone is strategic. Everyone's managers want to find a way to keep making money, keep making money, keep making money. Because the thing is, apparently, if like if you get two undefeated fighters at the right time, it's going to be a huge purse. So it's not even so much about like them making money. It's the fact that their managers are strategically placing these fights in such an order so that they can capitalize on the most. Because it is all about money. It is. That's why you'll hear, it's, you know, rarely you'll see a fighter like, hey, I want this guy. You know, like Canelo, he calls his shots now. He's like, I want, he's, I want Triple G. Let's do it. You know, even, you know who's not afraid of anybody? Pacquiao will fight anyone on earth. Yeah. But what's he say? Let me talk to my promoter. <laughs> right, you got to answer. Go yeah. talk to Bob. Pacquiao will fight anyone on earth. But after every fight, he goes, you go talk to Bob. Yeah, we're like the, the UFC. You kind of, it's like next in line. You got contenders. But that's probably because it's all under one umbrella. It's, so it's easier. Well, to, Dan is full control. Yeah. Which people don't like either. The, the pay's bad compared to what these right. boxes when he took When he took away their sponsors, that was a wrap. Yeah. yeah. Dude, we got to wind this down. We're uh, over the time. <laughs> I know we got Yeah. But yo, this was fun, man. It was also nice to meet you this weekend for the first time. Yeah, in person. No doubt. I know we, we're 30 episodes in and we finally hung out. Now. Yeah. And I've learned a lot from you and, and I appreciate you, man, because you helped a lot of things, you know, play off of me. I don't got to wake up anymore at three in the morning to flip eggs. So a lot of that was because I'm doing the show with you. So no I appreciate doubt, you. No doubt. Where can they find you on social media? At Will Blackman. Everywhere. A lot of wine, right? Lots of wine. I to have wine in about an hour. <laughs> we'll catch you guys next time. Not to be cocky, but all of you watching while I'm in the cup paying property bills. Got it.